0: Allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. It is your favorite day of the entire day as you move through. It's towards the end of the day for many individuals, and now you get to listen to some hopefully broadcasting. Entertainment. I was going to say excellence, but I don't know about that. That's kind of setting the bar a little high for us here on this show. We at least try to entertain you for a little bit of time. <laughs> welcome into the show. I am Andy Hoosier. It is The Voice of Reason. Thanks for hanging out with us today, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. Wherever you may be watching or listening, welcome aboard your millennial general Reporting for duty today. Boy, I tell you, now that Elon Musk has officially purchased Twitter and they're moving into segueing into a privatization here, it, the news is hilarious. Last night, I got off the radio. First thing I heard at our top of the hour news reports uh, all over on different radio stations was the negative publicity, the negativity coming from the mainstream media. And my first thought was, wow, well, have they found their new Donald Trump? Are they finally going to remove the negative hate and talk about Donald Trump because they're going to be so focused on Elon Musk. Is he the new Donald Trump where he's going to be the target of the hate messaging from the propagandist on the mainstream media? I'm interested. That's going to be interesting to see. Because now, obviously, he's got such a big influence on the markets, he's going to have a major say in social media. We're going to bring conservatives back onto a platform that Democrats don't want on there because now they're concerned. Their number one fear, what do you think it is? Do you think it's conservatives talking about Hunter Biden? I mean, that is a concern, but uh, not as much as something like this. ...to let Elon Musk uh, purchase, make this, this purchase... Uh, Do you have a response to that and does the White House have any concern that this new agreement might have President Trump back on the platform? Are you concerned, as the Biden administration, are you concerned that a private company is now going to open it up to allow people back onto the social media site that you didn't originally want on the social media site? And will that allow Donald Trump to be back on Twitter? And are you concerned, as an administration, that Donald Trump is back on a private social media site and be allowed to actually have an opinion? How dare we even believe or even have any concept of the fact that Donald Trump could have a say back on social media. Again, the left is losing their minds. Here's the interesting part though. Jen Saki, the communications director for the White House right now, uh said this about the purchasing of twitter well i'm not going to comment on a specific transaction uh what i can tell you is a general matter no matter who owns or runs uh twitter uh the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms uh what they have that power they have over our everyday lives has long argued that yeah. tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause I- oh wait a second yesterday what did we say on this show what did we say yesterday we were like okay you know what What's the next move? Because they have been beaten at their own game, a multi-billionaire. The most wealthy guy on the face of the earth has now beat the progressives at their own game by purchasing a social media site that was the safe haven for Democrats and progressives and liberals to say whatever they want to and espouse their hate and their hate mongering and their bigotry and their close mindedness. And when conservatives try and actually counter that, they get shut down. That was their safe haven. They were totally okay with it. Not a single Democrat has actually sided with Republicans in any way, shape or form to talk about uh, center or talk about the protections that social media has from the federal government. But now that we're going to have free speech and open it up from the algorithms without shadow banning. Now it's a major concern. Did we not just call this a day ago? Not 24 hours ago. We said this exact same thing. Democrats are going to change the rules of the game because they just lost At the game that they created with their rules, now they have to recreate the game all over again. They are overturning the table. They're changing the board game all over again because now... The Conservatives could have a voice again. It's a major issue, and we need to be concerned about the safety of people due to free speech on social media. He's been a strong supporter of fundamental reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more (laughs) transparency and more. And he's encouraged uh, that uh, there's bipartisan interest in Congress. Uh, In terms of what hypothetical policies uh, might uh, happen, I'm just not going to speak to that at this point in time. Man. They're so predictable, aren't they? They're so predictable. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Twitter because you've been hearing a lot about it over the last day or two, but I did find that interesting, the response. The number one concern from the mainstream media, is Donald Trump actually going to have a say on the main platform again to let elon musk uh, purchase, make this, make this purchase. Uh, do you have a response to that and does the white house have any concern that this new agreement might have president trump back on the platform i don't know why the federal government would have any care on why a private citizen now has any say on social media or no say on social media this is how much they absolutely are terrified of this individual. Welcome into the show. Bottom of the hour, we have Christopher Briggs on the show. He's with the Independent Institute. He is the public affairs uh, counsel for the Independent Institute. We'll talk about health care, Obamacare. Where are we at with the health care system? Obviously, since Obamacare has taken effect, where are we since then? And even with the COVID-19 pandemic that we've had to deal with, has the health care system held up to the quality that Barack Obama and the Democrats said it would going into a pandemic and many individuals needing health care services which we have some news on that here in a little bit as well but before we do that let's get into the what's trending that i wanted to get into yesterday that we just didn't have time to do what's trending today now i got to admit this is a little bit more serious of an issue and I usually don't like to put the tinfoil hat on, at least to this extent. But I, we really got to have a conversation about this because I am concerned now with the uh, uh, industry that I am in and the connections that I have based on the industry that I am in. I've tried to uh, test the waters and feel around and ask certain individuals that are related specifically to this topic on their thoughts of what we're seeing and is this sabotage or is this just a fluke accident? And they couldn't give me a straight answer per se, which made me a little bit more concerned than what I normally am. I was, and I got to admit, I was not aware of this issue at all until this weekend. Mrs. Voice of Reason has been telling me a little bit about it, but to the extent she wasn't aware of, I wasn't aware of, and it's only getting worse. Obviously we know about the, uh, we're going to call these the crises of 2022. Can we call it that? not, Not to, again, inflate things. I don't want to inflate things here, but I at least want to call it what it is, the continued crises of 2022. I want you to just go into a speculative mode for a second here and look back over the last two years in a risk uh, in, in a almost a memory in a commemorative message between 2020 with COVID-19, obviously, that led to supply chain issues, which the supply chain issues didn't happen until two years into the pandemic, which I find quite interesting. But now we're into supply chain Issues That's led to, of course, jobs during the last two years where we had uh, the most amount of people off of jobs that led to really a a great recession and a great uh, exiling of individuals from the workforce. Your job's not important. You're not an essential worker. Your small business is a mom and pop shop of a gas station or a, a restaurant or a general store. You're not an essential business. You need to shut doors. As a venue, an entertainment venue, you're not an essential business. You need to close doors because you are not important. Then we went from that to the supply chain issues, trying to get back on our feet, and now we can't get anything. Now we have inflation at 8.5%. We have a war ongoing between Russia and the Ukraine. We had an energy issue just a year ago in February, if you remember the extreme cold, where we saw, what, negative 20 degrees here in Kansas, where I'm at, my flagship radio station. We had negative 20 degrees. We had rolling brownouts and blackouts in certain parts of the country, especially down in Texas, who's not used to extreme colds because the grid couldn't handle it. And while they refused to open up coal plants, they are now trying to put more things onto the grid like, you know, electric vehicles because gas-powered engines are really, really bad and it's destroying the environment and all this other crap. But yet we want to strain the electrical system that couldn't handle when we had some off weather. Now we have gas prices up near $4 a gallon. Are you seeing the routine here we haven't had a time off we haven't had a breath we haven't had a whew, i think it's over in the past in the worst of its past and we can actually get back to normal here we haven't had that since 2020 and as soon as one thing starts to dwindle another thing pops back up and it's getting a little frustrating and it's getting a little wearing and tearing which i know we can survive it because we're americans and we're brutal and we're strong and we can survive anything we've survived a lot worse but we're going down the road of Can we again, because we have a lot of weaker generation and I'm not saying my generation. Well, okay. I am saying my generation, but not all of them are weak, but we're starting to go down that road. So what's the next thing? Well, of course, the next thing is of course the food shortage now. Now, again, I was not aware of this, not the food shortage itself, but what's going on here. That's exacerbating the food shortage until this weekend. Obviously we have the war with Russia and the Ukraine that has caused a food shortage with us not being able to export grains from uh, from Ukraine, which is the like third largest exporter of grains, corn, wheat, and soybeans, and everything of that sort, uh, in the world, and we can't export it because the farmers can't do their job because there's kind of a war going on with Russia invading them and destroying their fields. And I've seen many pictures of missiles that have just like landed in fields and are just sitting there. Then we have Russian crops, which are an, another major exporter that we've cut off because we're trying to Put sanctions on Russia. So now two major producers of food were either can't get or not buying. What's that leading to? Now we have people jumping out of apartment buildings in China because they're starving, which they say is due to COVID lockdowns, but it's really because they don't have enough food and don't want people going to the markets and trying to thin out their population. I said it. That's exactly what's going on. I have people that are actually there that listen to the program that are there in China watching it all happen, and they're sending me videos, which is really insane. And it's really scary to watch. So that's what's happening there. But what's happening here in the U.S.? Obviously, food's going to be going up, not just with inflation rates, but with other issues as well, with a food shortage. Now, we are a major exporter of food, so worst case, we could just not ship our food out and we could just keep it here. So we're going to be okay-ish until I started seeing these. And this is from the, West, uh, what is this? the uh, Western WesternStandardOnline.com. Not necessarily a most mainstream site, but it references all the mainstream reports of food distribution plants, food processing plants, meat processing plants that are all going up in flames over the last few months. That, again, I had no clue about until this weekend, and I was like, what in the world is going on here? Here's what they had to say. Food shortages have been exacerbated by a string of fires, plane crashes, and explosions of nearly two dozen food processing plants across Canada and the U.S. over the last six months. The most recent, and this is where things go a little, hmm, the things that make you go, hmm, right? Again, put on the tinfoil hat for a second and bear with me. Here's what happened last Thursday when in Georgia, a small plane crashed shortly after takeoff into a General Mills plant just east of Atlanta. Two occupants of the plane were killed in the crash. Uh, According to the New York Post, a massive fire on Monday night a couple weeks ago destroyed parts of the Azure Standard headquarters in Oregon. The company described itself as USA's largest independent food distributor in the country. The company said, quote, basically any liquid products such as honey, oil and vinegar will be out of stock due to the fire. According to the Vision Times, the company also went on to talk about its lost fruit packing and carob product facility in the blaze, but the effects will be minimal as uh, fruit harvesting season hasn't quite started yet. Here's another one. According to firefighters in uh, Taylor Farms' packaged salad plant in Salinas, California, a key agricultural region in San Francisco, the fire broke out on Wednesday night, according to KTLA News. The same day, an airplane also crashed into Idaho's Gem State Processing Facility, a a, uh, plant said, to have processed 18,000 acres worth of potatoes each year. The plane—the uh, pilot of the plane did not survive. However, no employees were injured, according to the Vision Times. Oh, I have more. Is this a high accident, or is this just like, eh, we're just not going to report on any of this stuff. What the heck's going on, man? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. bring some reason into your day this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier welcome back into the program 24 minutes past the hour radio tv live streaming podcasting all right so we have again i don't want to start like people freaking out here and there's a Maybe a logical reason, or maybe there's a little bit behind the scenes here, but no one's talking about it, and I scratch my head. Now, again, with the industry that I'm in, uh, and doing the things that I do, I have connections to especially agriculture and processing and and meats and food and exports and politics. And I've been picking the brains of some individuals who are experts in this industry, and they gave me some conflicting reports. And they're like, yeah. "Somewhere, like you know, it's semi-normal for food processing plants, food distribution plants to have issues and to catch fire. If you look historically, over the last you know year, couple of years, ten years, fifteen years." there's consistently always some across the nation that will catch fire or have issues. It happens. Some of them are old buildings. You know, a lot of times they don't keep up to code. You know, things happen. There's a lot of grain that goes through there. So it's semi-normal. So i like, okay, that takes down some of the uh, hysteria a little bit because it's a semi-normal thing that just normally doesn't get attention from the mainstream media because there's not a worry. Uh, at the same time, when you start hearing about planes accidentally crashing into ones at the same time that there's other ones catching fire and they're all happening in a very short span all of it wrapped up into the same time where we're already having a global food shortage and people are dying in china and jumping out of apartment buildings because they have nothing to eat and don't want to starve to death and you have food that's going to waste in russia and in ukraine because you can't export it or you're not allowed to grow it or you can't do anything with it then you start adding things up and again Put on the tinfoil hat. Call me crazy for a second. I'm just asking. Over the last however many months, we've had a plane crash into the General Mills plant in Georgia just in the last week. We had a fire in the Azure Standard headquarters in Oregon. We have the, let's see, the Taylor Farms packaging salad packaging plant in California where that went up. We have Idaho's Gem State Processing Facility that processes near 18,000 acres worth of potatoes each year. We have firefighters, according to westernstandardonline.com, firefighters from several different departments in Maine helped put a battle out of a massive fire that destroyed the East Conway Beef and Pork Butcher Shop in New Hampshire. Investigators did not indicate the cause of the fire. And in March, uh, a major fire that forced the closure of the Nestle plant in Arkansas. The plant made frozen foods, particularly Hot Pockets, There, the frozen food plant announced the plans for a $100 million expansion of that last year. And let's see, the uh, uh, Penobscab? McCrum Potato Processing Facility in Maine was also destroyed by a fire in March. In Canada, fire crews and paramedics responded after an explosion at the Centre de Valle. Yeah, yeah, that thing. An industrial food preparation and processing facility in Quebec. Five people were injured in March with the explosion that turned into a major fire. The stories go on and on and on here. Uh, The Maricopa Food Pantry, a food bank in Arizona, saw 50,000 pounds of the food burned and set ablaze. Uh, Another fire in February. I mean, do I need to go on here? At what point? And again, not being a conspiracy theorist here. At what point do we say, well, there's a global food pandemic, which is the next major crisis. We went from covid with people losing their jobs, with people shutting down their business. Now we open it up and we have a economic issue with printing. 80% of the money that's out there right now, just in the last couple of years, that's causing massive inflation. We have a war going on. We have energy crisis where we already have a strained grid that's now going to be strained even more with a push for green energy and electric vehicles. We have gas prices that are trying to force us into that electric grid shortage and people buying electric vehicles because they can't afford $7 gallons of gas. And now we have a food shortage that's ongoing across the globe and while we have a hard time actually purchasing and exporting and importing different grains the stuff that we do have that we're processing and trying to distribute we're now seeing it all go up in flames i mean obviously we're going to be semi-okay because we are one of the largest uh creators of agriculture here in this country and if all said and done we don't export any of food we just keep it here but at what point do we start scratching our head and saying man is this just an accident Or is there something weird going on here? You have to come to that conclusion for yourself, but we're definitely going to see some high prices from numerous different things going into the next year or two or a couple of years because of us trying to play catch up on restocking what we had stored. Christopher Briggs coming up on the program right around the corner. Stay here.
1: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation, one radio listener at a time. I know. I (laughs) I apologize for my generation every day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we started the Tide Pod Challenge. I'm sorry we started the condom snorting challenge. I'm sorry we started all the other stupid online challenges. I'm sorry. Good news is the generation behind us, or two generations behind us, I think, are the ones that are like, "Yeah, I think we're not going to do a whole lot of social media." You guys are nuts. Can I say good for you? Welcome in. So lots of conversation all over, multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming a podcast, watching some of the comments on the live streams right now, and. A lot of people think it is. Deliberate. It's just weird how it's all happening at one time and convenient at the same time that it is. The sad part is, is that you're right, uh, listener Scott, saying you're right that if it's not all uh, planned or actually doing like that, it's just sad that we even have to question it like that because we have so much distrust in society, which I will say, anytime that government is involved, then you, we'd have a little bit of distrust, which, right? It is totally absurd. Oh, come on, Bernie. Come on, man. He's a jackass. <laughs> Let's get into what's trending. What do you say? What's trending today? One of the issues, obviously, that's been strained over the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic is the health care system. Obamacare. Where are we at with Obamacare? We had the I still it's that missed opportunity. It's like, oh, I should have swung the baseball bat when I didn't or I shouldn't have swung and I could have saved the game right there. We had the opportunity to repeal Obamacare when Trump first got into office. Remember that? Remember that? We had a majority in the House, had a majority in the Senate, had the presidency and a president who wanted to repeal Obamacare. And then we had good old John McCain, my friend, my friend, run a straight talk express, waltzing right into the Senate even after not being there forever because of his brain cancer, voting against it. And then, boom, he's back out uh, to try and sabotage Trump and the Republicans from repealing Obamacare. Where are we right now? And are things better? And has the system been tested the way it uh, could have been or it was during the last year? last couple of years with COVID-19 and the pandemic. Super happy to have this guy on the program. And I love this organization as they continue to fight the fight each and every day. He is the Publications and Public Affairs Council at the Independent Institute, which you can find online, independent.org. It's Christopher Briggs online with us here. Chris, how are you, my friend?
1: Uh, doing very well. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. The ultimate question, obviously, with Obamacare still intact and with Democrats trying to expand government, which I want to talk about here in just a minute, uh, has Obamacare been able to hold up to all the promises of Barack Obama and all the Democrats when they passed it during the last year with COVID-19, the last couple of years with uh, being able to, quote unquote, take care of people and keep your doctor if you want to keep them? <laughs>
1: Uh, so my reaction is no. Um, I have direct experience of this. I mean, twice in th- a three year period, Obamacare, uh, which I was forced to take, I didn't want to take it. I had a, a plan I loved before Obamacare forced me into it. Um, uh, twice in the three year period, my little girl battling cancer, uh, was without insurance coverage. There was just nothing to buy in her zip code. that would cover her care on the one hand at her clinic. And on the other hand, at, at the hospital where we received a lot of her care. And, you know, I, I there's a story there which we can get into, but I'll just say right now that um, you know what we all thought the Democrats intended by passing Obamacare, which is to say we're going to single payer someday, boys. Uh, is is it, it's here and and they're open about it, and that's why they the Republicans had me testify in front of Congress a couple weeks ago to tell my story.
0: Single payer is here. Now let's talk about the lead up to what single payer is for those. I mean, they wanted the single payer in Obamacare. They wanted it to open up that door to that. And I thought we were able to kind of stamp that out, but it seems like some of the other maybe political issues have reopened that door, and we're just about there yep. then, aren't we?
1: Well, we are. And, you know, the insurance guys that I've talked to, John Goodman, uh, who works with us at Independent, but also Michael Cannon of the Cato Institution, i would ask these guys, and they will, you know, they will tell you that the, the vast majority of people who've benefited from Obamacare, if you can call it that, are just basically people who've been put on the Medicaid rolls. But this idea that we're going to socialize or begin to socialize the insurance products market, and you're going to be able to keep your plan, keep your document, everything's going to be cheaper, was was a lie from the beginning. And, you know, my story just exemplifies that. I mean, you know, when I first started buying insurance on the individual marketplace, I was working in corporate America. I had a version of the American dream I wanted to realize. I wanted to have my own consulting firm, and I only jumped out. You know, because we have a big family, you know, uh, always wanted one. My wife and I have, have a bunch of kids. And we I jumped out because I did the due diligence. And I found out there were so many insurance plans before ACA went into effect that I had to bring in a broker to explain all the benefits to me every couple of years. Wow. And Obamacare, so I remember when they passed this thing in 2010, I turned to my wife and said, you can't socialize this thing. I and mean, it's, it's all going to get better. It's going to get a lot worse. And that's what happened in 2014. We lost our plan within three weeks. Premiums skyrocketed. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, my diet, daughter got diagnosed with cancer in 2015 and we discovered one of the other really bad effects of the Obamacare nightmare is the maximum out-of-pocket deductible expenses. I mean, you know, before ACA it was like $4,500 for our family and now it's like 17,500. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, before the ACA, I had a plan. I told Congress this, you know, I could take my daughter if I needed to, to Johns Hopkins or any, any number of specialists. I could kind of go anywhere I wanted. The ACA ties you to a short radius uh, of your zip code. They sell the plans by zip code. You can't go to medical facilities except in your zip code. So what effectively the thing has done, in addition to high prices, is they've made us medical serfs. We're tied to the land on which we live. And you simply cannot take a kid to a specialist. So we couldn't take our daughter battling cancer to to Johns Hopkins. But, you know, you mentioned uh, President Trump. I mean, rightly in 2017, he questioned the wisdom, sent out a tweet saying, why are we spending all this money? Sending all these subsidies to the insurance giants for worse care at greater price. Like I'm, I i do not want to do this anymore. Yeah. And because the ACA is such a flawed law, the insurance giants, when they heard this, got really scared about all their profits. Right. So they decided that for 2018, they were going to pull out, and 500,000 people overnight just lost their health care for the following year, including me. And there was one plan that was left, so we tried to buy that for 2018. We went, but it didn't cover her hospital. Um, so I was without insurance coverage for a daughter battling cancer under the ACA. And as I tell everybody, you know, it's not the common cold. The I mean, insurance was set up for just this problem, catastrophic illness. Exactly. And it can't work. Um, and then in 2020, there's a lot of details in between we could maybe get into, but in 2020, we had a similar problem. We you know, we had, we had done the due diligence, uh, again, you know, your listeners may not know this, but the way the ACA is set up, I have to decide in December of the previous year for the plan i was supposed to have for the entire next year and I can't leave it. Right. So we, we did this thing and looked around and Anthem had a plan that we, we could buy. So we bought it. Um, and then in mid March of 2020, we get this letter from the clinic saying, well, actually Anthem just sent us a letter saying we are unsure. Your, your daughter cannot come to our clinic as of April 1st, cause they're no longer going to cover it. Now, in both cases, what I did is I, cause look, I'm in communications. I work for the independent Institute, I, mean, I know kind of how to, how to do these things. So I, Started calling the press. In the first case, the Washington Post came and did a story on us. Didn't work. Uh, reached out to more media. That didn't work either in 2020. So I ended up having to go to Senator Mark Warner. I had to go to the author of the problem, which was the government. Yeah. And I told the staff, I said, look, well, you guys caused this problem? You know, up until the ACA, you know, I had war in Iraq, a war in Afghanistan, the 2008 meltdown. I could buy more insurance products than I could name. But you guys tie the care of the body to the state, and now my daughter is uncovered. You need to fix this. So to his credit, Senator Warner or his staff in both cases went to the the insurance giants and said, "Get back in this marketplace because I don't like the press we're getting." Sure. And it worked, you know. But I tried. I told Congress when I was testifying, you know, these successes that I had in in bullying, getting a private insurance company bullied back into the marketplace means that we're not dealing with a marketplace, right? Because marketplaces don't work by coercive power stimulated by a guy like me who happens to know how to do this, how to play play the system. Sure. This is Soviet style, right? If you're connected and educated, and you know players, you can get the health care you need. But you know the daughter do- the kids next to my daughter in, in the cancer ward, their parents did not how to do this. And if I hadn't done it for them, they'd be without insurance to this day. And you know, I, I, I people tell me, "What are you going to do next?" I said, "I have no idea." The government doesn't can't guarantee that I'm going to have it next year. Um, I have no idea. And so, you know, they would. The politicians would say this to me on the phone, and effectively, this is the point that Democrats are trying to make. At the house a couple of weeks ago, is well, wouldn't it be better, Mr. Briggs, if all this instability went away? We just made it single payer. <laughs> that's well, that's so let me get this right. A really bad idea gets better because you make it bigger. That's just, that's just stupid yeah. thinking, it gets worse. It does. And And they they came out
0: and said that this was going to be a competitive market, that you could keep your doctor, you can keep your insurance, you can keep this, but when you have someone that's not looking at profits, you undermine the entire free market system. I mean, what it sounds like is that what Donald Trump talked about, and the media hated him for the fact that this was as, as simplified as what he made it, was that as long as we could try and start making insurance companies compete across state lines and bring more into the market to be able to compete, that would raise the quality, that would lower the price, that would get people to actually go out and start shopping again, have numerous different options, and at least your guys' problem would be a lot less than what it is right now.
1: Well, you no, know, so I got a I got a phone call from this fellow Michael Cannon of the Cato Institution. He said, your problem's way worse than you realize. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. So the thing is, is that the ACA is not an insurance regime. It's basically a scheme, I would say. Michael doesn't say this, but I do. It's a Ponzi scheme to pay for everybody's medical bills. And since your daughter got sick under a non-insurance regime, she is effectively uninsurable for the rest of her life. So if we ever bring back free market health care, which is actually real insurance, yeah. your daughter can never have one of those, and you, she can't buy for herself either when she's older. She ha- permanently has a pre-existing condition. Uh, and, it's, and he said the logic is that um, you cannot buy car insurance for the car you drive after you've had the accident. So my daughter had the unfortunate you know, uh, fate to get cancer. She, she's now permanently uninsurable. But he said, but here's the real problem, folks, is that a lot of people are in this boat. A lot of people have gotten sick under the ACA, to the point where they're uninsurable, and in fact, all of us will be someday, right? Because yeah. nobody gets out of this, this life alive, really, effectively, right? So that that's really the case. So all the Democrats have to do, and they know this, they have to wait, and the number of uninsurable will be so large they will be unable to repeal this thing. And that's so. I turn to the I, you know my I criticize the Republicans too. I mean, their inactivity on this sure is tremendously bad, and they gave us look look. I love tax cuts, but Paul Ryan tax cuts are not what we should have done. We should have undone this destruction of the American healthcare marketplace first, because that is a structural problem that will suck up everything. Sure. Uh, any tax cut could give us. Let me just say one thing here. To, your,
0: to your listeners. Hold on, hold on yeah. we gotta, we got to take a hard break here, so hang on the line. Well, I want to continue that when we come back here, um, because this is fascinating, and it's so scary, the fact that, you're right, all the, the time is on their side, and the more they wait, the better that their progressive agenda continues to be advanced, and we can't do anything about it. We're talking with Christopher Briggs, Independent Institute. Lots more coming up here on The Voice of Reason. Hang tight. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Man, what a heartbreaking story. This is a serious issue we need to be aware of. And if we're going to do something about it, urgency is kind of like happening right now. Let's get her done as we try and work on this health care issue, this Obamacare. Will we ever be able to? Now, the hardest part is when a government program starts, can you ever actually get rid of a government program uh the rhetorical question there because that would be a resounding no that's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it does it actually make a sound uh that's the big question now christopher briggs independent institute chris i mean first off and i am getting some comments as well how before we get back to this year how is your daughter doing right now is she okay
1: she's doing okay she's uh, stopped her chemotherapy i mean they, these kids can only take so much right and they have these no. protocols they put them through and then they stop and then they wait and see if it comes back and so far so good if it does come back not a great prognosis, possibly, but so far, so good. So we're we're just praying and, and hoping uh, hoping for the
0: best. Thank amen. you for asking. Yeah, no amen to that. So, uh, do you think that when Trump first got into office, and we had that majority in Congress, and we talked about repealing Obamacare, and that was the big thing, yep. it was cutting taxes and yep. repealing Obamacare, was that the time to do it? And do you think now it's a little too late?
1: Well, so, yeah, I, I agree. I, when Trump came into power, he had uh, the Congress behind him, and he said, I want to repeal Obamacare, I want to build the wall. And I want to take care of the the China problem because they're just destroying our country, all these, you know, with with trade. And uh, the Congress wouldn't go along with them. So we got a tax cut instead. And I told this to the Congress when I was there two weeks ago, and I say it all the time tax cuts are great. Believe me, I don't want to pay any more taxes than anyone else does. But the other side can undo the taxes or, as they're doing now, destroy it with inflation. And so there goes the tax cuts. And we're still stuck with this behemoth uh, program, which is just going to empower the Leviathan state. In a way that we can't even imagine. I mean, doctors that I talk to are just terrified of what's coming because there is there is already rationing of healthcare. In fact, I lived it twice in a two year in a three year period. Um, You know, my problem wasn't so much high prices. I mean, high prices in a free economy, if I can just say this, you know, means something uh, that goes like this: a provider can get unhappy with those high prices, jump in, innovate, and provide the same service at a lower price or the same price. It's an open, you know, you can solve problems of high prices if it's open. But in a closed economy, that's what we have with Obamacare, um, that can't happen. High prices in a closed economy mean that you're on the path to where all closed economies end up eventually, just a matter of time, and that's scarcity. Twice in three years, it wasn't so much that I couldn't afford an ACA, that there was nothing to buy for any amount of Sure, and I would tell these Democrat senators and the staffers that. And you think that goes away under single payer? Scarcity doesn't go away under single payer. It gets changed into institutional policy. It becomes policy, and by that I mean this. Just to take one example out of a dozen I could pick, up, you know, at random. Two weeks ago, there was a report out of the UK, which has socialized medicine, that the Democrats want to impose on us, and they are up in arms. They're terrified because the, the NHS is telling everybody that they are going to see a reversal in cancer survivor rates in Britain. Why? Because there aren't enough cancer doctors. Now, we're not there yet, but we do single payer. We will be there. And what I fear is that my daughter's story will be everyone's daughter's story. Yeah. Right? And, and that what we experience as mom and dad, it will be everyone's experience in a family. And that's to say this. Thanks to the ACA, we saw the institutions of medicine collude with the disease against her. And I told the, 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 the congressman that I was talking to you know, when I was up there on the Hill, you want an example closer to home? How about the VA hospitals? You know, we send these boys off to, to fight in our foreign wars, and they come back, and we give them this medical care where you can stand in line and die waiting for care. Sure. And that's what happens with single-payer. And um, it's only, my, I mean, the Democrats up until this year were not open about it. But now, they. this is the third, my hearing was probably the most important, because on this oversight committee sits the squad. There's some good guys on our side, too. Jim Jordan and his crew at the Freedom Caucus is there but they've held other hearings and they're just openly saying it we're going there. And, you know, if we think the elections don't matter coming up in 2022 or 2024, they matter a lot. And my daughter's the proof. of it.
0: It is very sad. Uh, Chris Briggs, we got just about 30, 40 seconds here before we have to kind of wrap up, which I need to get you on for an entire hour, because this is an interesting topic and we need to continue to have this conversation, but do we have hope in the end? And are we seeing alternatives, maybe the private memberships to clinics uh, in other ways outside of the insurance policies?
1: Yeah, so there is some hope. Uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting uh, things going on at the state level. There's a ways to move uh, sort of free market, you know, orientated oriented projects at the state level. I think we need to explore federalism a little more. And then let's just make sure we take back Congress and get a president there who can repeal this.
0: That would be nice repeal the stuff and actually come up with some statewide options. I know that there are some private options going out there little by little. And along with the memberships, I think with clinics, that I think it's a really good idea as well. And uh, ideas are coming out. uh, The the private market, the free market, always finds a way to compensate for a need and demand in the private sector and for consumers. And that's what we need to actually allow to flourish right now. It's Chris Briggs, Independent Institute, independent.org. Chris, let's get you back on the show again real soon. I'd love to continue this conversation.
1: Anytime. Thanks so much for having
0: me. Hey, absolutely. Appreciate that very much. There it is. Whew. Lots to digest and break down there. We'll do that again here when we come back next time. Until then, this is your show. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. Back at it tomorrow for a Wednesday. This is The Voice series Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.